0: This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. ...to you this morning. You can actually open up your Bible to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. This summer we've been doing a series on the Ten Commandments, and this morning we are going to be looking at the Eighth Commandment. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand and an usher will bring you one, and that's just a, a gift from our church to you. You can take that home. You can also follow along with us as we look at God's Word today. Just four words to us this morning in Exodus 2015. It says, "You shall not steal." Exodus 2015 says, "You shall not steal." This is the word of God to us today. Well, if you are standing outside the Louvre, August 21st of 1911, you might have noticed three men scurrying away from a museum with an item in hand. These three men went into the Louvre the night before, and they decided they were going to spend the night in a supply closet, and after the lights turned off and the staff left for the day, they then took the night to take 200 pounds of glass and wood and protective casing off a wall so that they could steal one piece of art. They then discarded the casing, wrapped the piece of art in a blanket, and walked out of the Louvre. The piece of art that they had just stolen was the Mona Lisa. It took over 28 hours before anyone noticed the painting was gone. Actually, the reason they found out was because another artist came to paint a portrait of the gallery, and he noticed just hooks where the Mona Lisa used to stand. He asked security or maintenance how long this painting was going to be gone, thinking that it was just gone for a cleaning or maintenance purpose. As they scrambled to find the painting, they realized it was stolen. It took 28 months before they found the Mona Lisa again, after the thieves tried to sell it and they were caught. Reports are conflicting, but some say that if this painting was sold today, it would be worth up to $900 million, almost a billion dollars for one painting. Even in 1911, this painting was worth a massive amount of money. It was a huge act of stealing. When we think of stealing, often our perception is very limited. We can think of these big crimes like this. We think of bank heists and art thieves. We think of Ponzi schemes, stealing cars. And because of we think these big crimes, we can often think that we've never done any of those, so we are clear when it comes to the Eighth Commandment. Often when I go out and share the gospel with people and go through the Ten Commandments using them as a litmus test for how good people think that they are, they can see that they have broken most of God's law. But it's interesting, whenever we get to the Eighth Commandment, they often say, no, no, I am not a thief. I've never stolen, I don't, I don't steal, I don't break this commandment. A Barna survey revealed that 86% of adults claim they are completely satisfying God's requirement for the Eighth Commandment. At first glance, you could, you could even think that this commandment might be the easiest one to obey. Honor your parents. I mean, that could be tough. There's so many different applications, and it's intricate all throughout your life. Jesus comes and says if we hate someone in our hearts, we commit murder against them. We break the sixth commandment. Have a lustful thought, we break the seventh commandment. These are hard to obey, but stealing. I've never started a Ponzi scheme. I've never done something even remotely close like rob someone's house or stolen a car. So what does the eighth commandment mean for our lives today? What are the implications of this Word that God has given to us this morning as we seek to apply his word to our lives? Well, I think the main point from this text to us this morning is do not steal, but love generosity. I think that's that's what the Lord wants us to get, is do not steal, but love generosity. I have two points this morning that will help us unpack this as well as what I think this commandment is saying to us. And the first is, Stealing is always for your own needs. We can see all over Scripture that theft of every kind is considered wrong by this commandment. And it's always about seeking your own needs. We see examples of different types of theft in Scripture. You may remember when Jacob and Rachel, they're leaving Laban after Jacob worked for Laban for many years. And Genesis thirty-one nineteen says, Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And then later she hides them and she lies about stealing them just so she can have them. Or maybe the story of Achan comes to mind. When the Lord gives the people victory at Jericho, just as was promised, the walls come crumbling down and he commands them, to devote everything in this city to destruction. Well, Achan, as he's burning the town Down waging war against Jericho, he decides how harmful would it be to to maybe just take a little souvenir from Jericho, slip a few coins in the pocket. No one will notice, but the Lord sees his theft. This is Joshua 7.1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things, for Achan took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. The people then get defeated in their next battle because of this theft. The Lord disciplines the nation for disobeying his command. Maybe you think of 1 Kings 21 when Ahab stole Naboth's vineyard. Ahab, he's the king, and he desires Naboth's vineyard because it's near his land, and he wants the vineyard for himself so he can have a garden near his house. It's for a selfish reason, and Naboth tells him, no, it's his inheritance. He won't sell it to him, so Ahab has Naboth killed, and then he steals his land. And immediately, the Lord's anger is kindled towards them, him and his wife, and they suffer consequences for their sin. Theft of idols, theft of what can even be considered good things like money or possessions, other people's properties, it's always done for personal desires and it's always in a direct violation of the Eighth Commandment. And we see the Lord punishing these sins. Theft is a serious crime in the eyes of God. What kind of God would give the command... You shall not steal. A God who can be fully trusted to never steal. A God who is the opposite of a thief and is beyond generous in every way. A God who is revealing through this commandment and through his words who he is. And he's inviting us to be like him through this commandment. Remember the context of what has just happened. The the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They were great victims of theft. Their possessions and homes, their time and energy, their labor was stolen from them by Pharaoh. And God has just graciously redeemed them out of Egypt. And he's commanding them that no one shall steal. Don't be like the Egyptians. You are my set-apart people. You shall not steal. And he's making eye contact with all the Israelites, not through a mediator like he's done in the past, not through Moses, but he's making eye contact with them, and I think he's making eye contact with us this morning and saying, do not steal. When the Israelites heard this commandment, I'm sure a flood of memories came to their mind of how they had been stolen from, remembering how money wasn't given to them for their work in Egypt, remembering how a prized possession passed down multiple generations from a great-great-great-grandparent had been taken from their grasp, remembering how a brother or a child or a parent was stolen from them and made a slave in Egypt. Remembering how just a few short years ago, their homes and possessions were stolen from them. Do you remember that feeling? How angry it made you feel or disgusted it made you feel? Don't do it to others is what God is commanding. Stealing is all about self-interest, and it doesn't take into account the needs of others. That's why this is such a good command. It protects others. A few years ago, I went on a few-day trip out of town, and my wife Ellen stayed home, and I remember as soon as I pulled in the driveway, things seemed shuffled around, and our garage door we left open, and the things in our garage seemed shuffled around, and I went to the backyard, and my shed was left open, and I never leave my shed open, so I was confused, but I went inside, and I asked Ellen if she had been in the shed, and she told me immediately no, so I went right back out to the shed, and I found that all of our lawn mowing equipment, a ton of camping equipment had been stolen from us. This one backpacking pack that I had saved up for months and talked about months, buying was taken. I remember calling my insurance company and they told us that the deductible was too high, so it ended up not even being worth filing a claim for all of these things because we would spend more money on our deductible than the things we lost. And I remember the feeling just made us sick. We We didn't even necessarily care that we had lost the stuff, but we felt dirty. We felt taken advantage of by another. And these people, they didn't even break into our home. They broke into our shed. And I remember just sleeping with the lights on out of fear that someone was on our property for a few nights. And what a small comparison that is to what the people of Israel had lost because of theft. And God is commanding us to think of others, not just ourselves, but to love others, to ever make someone else feel this way through stealing. Well, stealing is wrong for three reasons. The first reason stealing is wrong is because it doesn't take into account the needs of others. We have rampant robbery in our country. This week I was just looking for illustrations for people stealing, and every day. New News alerts were coming to my screen of people stealing from kids at lemonade stands, counterfeit money, bank robberies. It just is all over the place. I remember when COVID began and there was just so much looting all around the country. It was always at the expense of a store or a business owner. There's something innate in us that we steal. Have you ever been around a baby for more than 30 seconds? They're little thieves. It's crazy. I'm sure they're stealing right now in children's ministry, and maybe they should come in here and listen to this. I'm not sure, but I, I've, never, I've never seen a parent teach a child how to steal. I've never saw a parent sit down with a kid and say, okay, when you want something, you take it out of that kid's hands. But no, this is just born in these kids. Even if they, they, don't, they don't want something, but they see another kid playing with it, they take it from them. Well, James 1 14 explains why why this is it says but each person is tempted when he is Lord and enticed by his own desire then desire desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death we desire and so we take and we sin against the Lord and we sin against others We steal all the time, and we steal all sorts of things. We don't grow out of this when we become adults. We still steal as adults. I came across this headline from a 2005 article that made me laugh. It says, Mel Gibson's controversial film, The Passion of the Christ, has topped the list of most pirated films, a U.S. internet analyst has said. We steal even The Passion of the Christ. Interesting. We pirate movies because we think... We want to. It's not too harm. It's about Jesus. He will not mind if I stole it. We don't think about the work of the directors and the actors. We take away sales from them when we do things like this. I read another report from a hotel saying in their first year of business, they had to replace 38,000 spoons, 335 coffee pots, and 100 Bibles. We can easily take from places like this, believing they have enough. They won't mind if I take some for myself. We see citizens stealing from governments by not paying taxes, evading taxes by forging or falsifying information on different documents. We see how employees could steal from their employers, leaving at 3.30 but filling out on the timesheet you stayed till 4, taking goods or products from a company you work at because you think that they have enough, it won't bother them. They won't mind if I take this of paper, this tool from the job, $10 from the register. We see how employees could steal by wasting countless hours doing things they're not even paid to do, like watching Netflix or a show at work. And I think the temptation for some of these things has only gotten easier as we work from home. There's less accountability. At school, there's plagiarism of speeches and papers. We steal from other ideas and work. At home, we see insurance fraud and stealing of Netflix passwords, taking from siblings. You may have noticed as we've been reading through the Bible this year as a church that there's so many rules in the book of the law about false weights and measures. And that's because it's stealing to give someone something that isn't true to what you tell them you're actually selling. I think of marketing agencies who sell products that actually harm people, that people don't really need. Yet these poor these firms care more about making a, a buck rather than thinking of others. I think of Zach Farnell, who's bought maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars off infomercials and has been scammed, <laughs> s- stolen from. Uh, <laughs> we can steal by selling defective products or goods or taking advantage of others with greed. We put money over others. I recently sold a car to a guy on Facebook Marketplace, and he was very upfront with me that he worked for a local used car lot, and he was all about making money. He would buy these cars on Craigslist, and then he would bring them to his lot and flip them for a profit. And he didn't try to hide this. He, he, right, it was surprising how open he was about how much money he made, told me how much he made per car and how many he does a month. This guy, he got to my house, looked at the truck I was selling, walked around the car one time, told me that all four tires looked nice, as if that was some indication of the engine, and then told me the car was in good shape, he wanted it. He went into the car, turned the key to accessory mode, not even on, just accessory mode, to see, I guess, if I was lying about the mileage, because that would be important, and said, yup, handed me the check for it, got in the car, drove off, and someone else came and picked up the car so that they could then put it on the car lot. What surprised me was this guy didn't care what kind of product went on his lot. He didn't care about researching it. He didn't care about if it had any issues issues. He said, I know this thing will sell fast. I'm here to make a buck. Someone needs this truck, and I'm ready to make a profit. It's, the Eighth Commandment is not just pickpocketing and robbing someone's house or stealing an expensive piece of art from the Louvre, but an attitude of greed is considered wrong by this commandment, an attitude of taking advantage of someone in any transaction, an attitude of doing Bad work so that you can make the quickest buck. So, the eighth commandment is about loving others and treating them with dignity and worth and respect. And stealing does the opposite of this. It's not loving to our neighbor, it doesn't take into account their needs, their time, their possessions, their money, but instead says, I'm more important than you, and so I'll take what you have. So, that's the first reason it's a disregard to love your neighbor. The second reason stealing is wrong is because it reveals our own lack of trust in God. Stealing says something about our own hearts. Stealing directly says to God that we do not trust him. It's like a megaphone to God saying, I don't think you really provide everything I need, Lord. I'll take it. I need more, Lord. I want more. My neighbor has what I think I need and You don't provide it, or if you do, you're not doing it fast enough, so I'm not going to wait. I'll take it. It reveals our lack of trust in God. It's almost like saying, I need more entertainment. Lord, you haven't given me enough, so I'll steal that music or watch that movie pirated online. I need more money, Lord, and you haven't given me enough, so I'll rip off another person in a bad business deal. Take a little from the register while no one's looking. I need more time off, Lord, and my employer, well, they haven't given me enough, so I'll steal time from work doing things I'm not supposed to be doing. I need more, and I'll take what hasn't been given to me. It all is theft. It all reveals we don't trust God and all that he has provided for us. It's a lack of trust in his providence for our life. Let me ask, do you you trust that God really provides everything you need? Whatever your lot is right now, it has been perfectly provided by God. It was not too much, not too little, but what you need. I know that statement uh, may sound funny to some, and you might even be having a hard time believing that. That God really provides everything I need. You may say, do do you see this medical bill coming up, God? Does God really see my broken down car and me trying to figure out how to get to work or school? Does God really see this desire I have to bless my family with a vacation? Does he see my bank account? Wouldn't it be easy just to take a little bit just so that I can have what I want right now? The Lord knows, and the Lord hears you, and the Lord sees you, and he's commanding you, do not take but trust in him. He will provide for you. You're more value than the birds of the air and the lilies of the field which he provides for, so do not be anxious about what you have, but trust the Lord. That's the second reason. The third reason is stealing is wrong is because we steal glory that belongs to God alone. We take not just possessions and money, but we take glory that isn't ours to take. We steal glory by not honoring God with our lives, which he has given to us. Phil Riken says that still another way to rob God is to break his law and thus to deny him our obedience. Every violation of the Ten Commandments involves some form of theft. Bowing down to idols steals God's worship. Desecrating the Sabbath steals his holy day. Murder steals life. Adultery steals purity. Lying steals the truth. But the real theft is that every sin we commit dishonors God, and thus steals the glory that our lives ought to give to him. And... That's exactly what we've done. We've stolen from God. We've stolen from our neighbors and we have broken God's law. We have rebelled against God with our theft, our lack of trust in him and our disobedience to his words. We wage war against him, saying my ways are better than you. You don't know what's best for me, Lord. I do, I, I do what I truly need. I'll take what I need. Let me, let me say this. Stealing on earth will... Ultimately, steal from you your inheritance in heaven if you do not do something about your problem with sin. And the answer is not just stop stealing. The scriptures tell us that we need perfect righteousness to be accepted before God. What are we going to do with all that theft we've already committed? What are we going to do with all the other sins we've already committed? Well, the great news this morning is that. Jesus Christ died for sinners who steal. Christ died for thieves. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. He's never stole a thing his entire life. Not as a kid and not as an adult. He never stole someone's food. He never stole someone's money. He never committed a marketing ploy that was a scam. He never was greedy for selfish, earthly gain. He never once broke the Eighth Commandment. He never broke any commandment, yet he was a victim of this commandment. Jesus was stolen from. Jesus was beaten and mocked. He was treated unfairly for greedy reasons, being sold for just 30 pieces of silver by Judas. More than that, Jesus gladly gave away. He gave away money and food and blessings. He even ended up giving of himself. I love when Jesus is tired and worn out, and he, he goes and retreats, and he spends time with his father, and the crowds find him. And he doesn't get angry, but gives more of himself. At the end of life, he died among thieves in the place of thieves ultimately giving his life away. Matthew 27, 38 says, Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. They stole his garments by casting lots, and when he hung there, all of God's wrath for sin was poured out on Jesus for our sake. The the only thing that wasn't stolen from Jesus was his life. He gave his life away. He died, an innocent man murdered, but he gave his life away. And after he died, he rose to show that debt for this sin was paid. Phil Riken says about this moment when Jesus is on the cross, he says, it is well known that Christ was crucified between two thieves. But as far as God's justice was concerned, there was really three thieves on the cross that day. Two who died for their own crimes and one who took our sins upon himself. Repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. He loves to save sinners and thieves. And when we believe in Christ, we are transformed. We're transformed to hate stealing and love generosity. We're transformed to be like him, to love giving like Christ did. And that, that's my second point, is generosity is for the needs of others. We may be tempted to think that this commandment only encourages us not to steal, And if I stop taking from work or just stop scamming people, then I'm not in a negative and I'm all good to go. All I need to do is just stop stealing and I'm fulfilling this commandment. I think this commandment, though, is more than just not stealing. It's about an attitude of love for others. We don't take because we care about others. And so we actually give generously to them. This commandment, it's it's like a coin. It has two sides. One side of the coin is the negative side, the you shall not take, you shall not steal. But this commandment also has a positive side, a way we can honor the Lord and live like him and be like him, and that is to give generously. God is calling the people of Israel to be able to provide for one another's needs. He We see this even exampled in the early church. They care and share all of each other's needs. And I think we are called to the same thing. We're we're called not just to stop stealing and then keep and hoard all our things for ourselves, but we as Christians are called to a spirit of generosity. That's why Paul can say to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4.28, he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The thief is transformed from stealing to giving, from taking from others to now blessing others. The one who took because of his own needs now provides for others' needs. I just was thinking of the application of this text and was thinking about What hope this gives us for our work this week. Some of you may have your dream jobs. And I think that the Lord blesses us with jobs we love. But I'm sure that there's people in this room who hate their jobs, that don't want to go to work tomorrow. But work is not an end in itself, but allows us to share with those in need. I think that begins with just providing for you and your family. And then, more than that, the Lord enables us to work hard and make money, and we get to partner with gospel ministry, like giving to the church. I want to say that this church has modeled generosity for me. You have been an example to me and my young family of what generous giving looks like. You truly are a generous church. I was thinking this week of just ways that I've seen this being a member over the last 10 years, and I actually had to stop writing things down because it just would take too long. But I want to read a few things that I have have seen you do with your generosity over the last 10 years of being a member here. I've seen you partner with VFC interns raising support. I've seen you give generously to try off and pay building loans like the one here and successfully pay off the VFC house last fall. I've seen you generously give tithing each month so that you've enabled events at our church like Cornucopia or Popsicles after the meeting each month. You give specifically to our Benevolence Fund and Widows Fund so that we can care for those in need. You support missionaries locally and abroad. You give to local ministries supporting the spread of the gospel in Knoxville, like Jobs for Life or Thrive. I've seen you pay for people's meals, give cars away, allow someone to live in your home or rental property for free. I've seen you help with rent for a month. I've seen you pay for cleaners to clean someone's house when they're in need. You've given money to a family who's lost their job, given gifts of meal trains and snacks when a family member is sick or a baby is born. I love community group leaders are starting this week. Community groups are starting, and I've seen community groups give up Nights of the week to serve and their homes to host. We've been recipients of people babysitting for free. I've seen you use your skills like carpentry and plumbing and car repair and electricians and accountants to provide a service to someone in need. This is just a list of a few things. I could go on for days of the generosity that this church has example to me, and I am grateful for your example. You've been changed by the gospel. But I don't think giving or generosity is just with our money either. So maybe you're here and you don't have much money to give away. So I don't want you to grow discouraged. We can give generously all that the Lord has provided for us. We can give our talents and our skills and our time. I think about moms. You get to display to your children generosity by the giving of yourself physically when they're young, even mentally as they grow up. You reflect the character of God by this type of giving. Single people, you get to give generously of your time and energy to serve the church in ways those married or with kids cannot. Students, you get to give of your young backs and physical strength to help someone move or set up chairs at the building. And let me encourage you, as school is about to start, work hard in school and succeed so you too can get a good job one day and provide for other people's needs. This past week, I learned of a crane company called Barnhart Cranes. Two brothers owned this $250 million company, and I say owned because it's past tense. They have given it all away. They signed over 100% of their company stocks to the National Christian Foundation, to give to missions, church planning, and evangelism. What shocked so many people in philanthropy was not necessarily how much money they had given, which was an obscene amount, $250 million company, but was because most people give away their things and their companies after they die. These brothers did it while they were still alive. They were interviewed why they did what they did, and this was the interviewer's summation of what he had to say about these two brothers. They actually don't believe that they own their company anyway. It wasn't theirs. It was God's. They were just taking care of it for them. When they gave away their company, it didn't change their life at all. It significantly changed their balance sheet, but it didn't change their lives. I love examples of this that declare we want to give generously to the needs of others. They explained that they didn't sell their homes so that they had to live on the street, or they didn't sell their cars so they had to walk to work. It wasn't a vow of poverty, but said, we have enough. We just want to give generously to these purposes we see important. Maybe you're new here or a new believer, and you want to grow in giving. First, I'd say, look to Christ. Look to to him who was so generous and gave his life away. But I'd also encourage you just to ask people around you. Ask people where their needs are so you can help them. You know what's interesting is one of the main reasons for why people steal and one of the main reasons why people aren't generous have the same root. Both can be found in people wanting to build treasure here on earth. I steal so I can grow my treasure. And I don't give so that I can protect my treasure. You may find it interesting as you read through the Bible that Jesus knows this desire within all of us to build treasures. And when he came to earth, he doesn't actually squash any of that desire. He doesn't come and say, stop trying to build treasure. He actually knows that we want to feel safe and secure. But instead, he says, stop trying to build treasure that can be destroyed. Build treasure in heaven. He invites us to invest in a treasure that can never be stolen away from us. In one that isn't dependent on stock markets or current cultural moments. In one that can never be burned down by a fire or looted by a stranger. In a treasure that God himself is protecting for us. Matthew 6, 19 says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God, this morning, is inviting us to a greater treasure, And he's calling us not to steal, to give to others and trust in him. Let me pray for us. Help us, Lord, to be like you. Thank you, God, for this good command that protects others. I pray that you would help us to hate stealing and and love generosity, that we would look to the example in Christ Jesus who never stole, but gave generously of his life. Thank you that he has bought with his blood a greater treasure than we can ever store up on earth. And he gives freely of this treasure to anyone who would believe in him and repent of their sins. And so we cling to Christ this morning and we thank you, God, that you you are so kind to give freely of yourself. We trust you and ask for your help to obey your commands this week. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.